This is a CBC podcast. Hi there, I'm David Cochran, and this is the Power and Politics podcast for Wednesday, October 11th. On the pod today, a third Canadian has been confirmed killed after the Hamas attack in Israel. She grew up in Ottawa and has deep roots in the capital. We'll have more on the death of this Canadian and bring you the latest from our reporter on the ground in Israel. Plus, the federal government is taking steps to get Canadians out. Military flights out of Israel will begin this week, and plans are in the works to get Canadians out of Gaza and the West Bank. The parliamentary secretary for the Minister of Foreign Affairs is standing by. And a Palestinian father in Canada fears for his children stuck in Gaza. He is calling for help from the federal government. We begin tonight, as we have all week, bringing you an update from the ground in Israel. The CBC's Chris Brown joins us now from Jerusalem. So, Chris, uh, what is the latest in Israel right now? Well, David, we were just hearing what sounded like uh, uh, an anti-missile system, which is why I was turned around looking over there, but it doesn't appear to be... Uh, the case tonight, the um, the major story is a government of national unity for Israel. Benjamin Netanyahu has invited his rivals uh, to stand alongside of him, which they did tonight, uh, vowing their determination to, in his words, uh, wipe Hamas off the face of the earth. It's very significant because uh, Netanyahu and uh, Benny Gantz were basically at war with each other until just a couple of days ago, but they've put those differences aside to focus on uh, the job ahead, and according to Netanyahu, uh, Israel is now on the offensive. So that was the determination, as I said, that was on display tonight, but also uh, fear was as well. There were some some tense moments when it looked like the entire northern part of Israel was under some kind of attack from drones that came in uh, from Lebanon. It turned out to be a false alarm, but people were, were running for panic. Uh, there was a great deal of concern, told to shelter in their homes. So I think it really does speak to the amount of fear uh, that uh, that is at play here right now. And for very good reason, too, because uh, around the steroid area today, there was a firefight. It seems that either some militants did not go back to Gaza after the attack on Saturday or... They re-entered into southern Israel, uh, and there was uh, an encounter between them and Israel's defense forces. And so the military has said, you know, they think they've blocked all the gaps in the wall, but perhaps not. And that is also uh, making people here extremely tense, extremely worried. Okay, you mentioned Gaza there, Chris. What, what is the situation like? And we've been hearing the warnings about the rising humanitarian crisis. What's the situation like in Gaza right now? Well, very dire uh, the power went out. The only power station that's operating there has run out of fuel, so people are going to be in the dark tonight, and unless they have their own generators with their own fuel, they're not going to have uh, any power. Uh, the decimation of uh, parts of uh, Gaza, uh, you've seen the pictures, just awful. People are trying to take shelter, for example, in schools, but they're not really, in many cases, uh, safe. The UN has said today that 11 of their workers were killed. Some of them were sheltering from Israeli bombs in schools. Some of them were in uh, their own homes as well. Gaza, of course, is a very small place. Two billion people packed into 45 square kilometers. Not many places for them to go to hide safely. They could try to leave from the south through uh, into Egypt. And there are discussions right now involving the United States uh, over that border crossing 
perhaps to try to let some humanitarian supplies in, more humanitarian supplies in, but Egypt is very wary. They do not want a mass displacement of people coming into their territory, particularly if Israel invades. Okay, so Chris, uh, obviously many moving parts. What are we expecting next? Well, uh, next it's really a waiting game to see what kind of offensive, what kind of ground attack Israel launches. They have more than 300,000 troops, tanks, artillery, everything right poised to go. Uh, but there's lots of big considerations. Hamas has had years and years and years to prepare defenses inside Gaza. It's a rabbit warren of tunnels underneath there. Uh, so if Israel does go in and attack, what is the objective? How, how deep are they going to try to penetrate? Because they could take just awful casualties uh, depending what they intend to do. And of course, David, there's also the hostages. There's more than 100 Israelis uh, and foreign nationals being held somewhere in different places in Gaza, likely as human shields. Uh, and that has to be an enormous concern for the people planning Israel's offensive. Okay, Chris, thank you so much. That's the CBC's Chris Brown in Jerusalem. An Ottawa woman was killed in the Hamas attack on Israel. Adi Vital Kaplun's death was confirmed by the Jewish Federation of Ottawa. The Federation's president read a statement from the family today. A wife, a sister, a daughter, a granddaughter, a niece, a cousin. Her children are miraculously home and safe, but she is not. She was murdered by terrorists in her home just for being Jewish. Adi Vital Kaplun. 33 years old, was a beautiful person with a warm soul that touched her family and friends with love. Her love was like rays of sunshine warming the world around her with her smile, her warmth and compassion. Adi was an amazing mother, teaching her children and nurturing them in a loving and caring way, focused on their development and place in this world. Adi was so completely moved by the love she had for her husband, cherishing every day they had together and making a life for their family. Adi brought love, laughter, and a sense of purpose to her parents and siblings, the one always leading the way in a very close family. Adi was an amazing woman with so many talents. She expressed herself through her dance, playing saxophone, and was an amazing basketball player. Adi was driven from a young age on a path to success in everything she set her mind to, having recently finished her master's after completing a degree in chemical engineering and had a very successful career in cybersecurity. Adi loved her country, Israel. She lived on the land in a kibbutz surrounded by her mishpacha, her family. Adi also loved Canada, was a proud Canadian citizen from a local Ottawa family with deep community ties, and made sure to convey this pride in Canada to her children. We are standing with the people of Israel in their fight against the terrorists that undertook this heinous act. Adi will be greatly missed by her family and many friends. We are trying to process this unconscionable act of terrorism that took place on her kibbutz Holit and across the country. May her memory be for a blessing. Bomb strikes have intensified in Gaza as Israel targets Hamas. 
Fears of a humanitarian crisis are growing with blockades stopping food, water, and fuel from entering. Hiding among the destruction are 14-year-old Kamar and 12-year-old Amir Fayyad. They are the children of Mohammed Fayyad. He is a Palestinian refugee here in Canada, separated from his children in Gaza. He's trying to get them visas so they can reunite, and he's here now to tell us about his fight to bring them to Canada. Mohammed, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me also, and I uh, really appreciate that. So, uh, as you know, the situation here, uh, in, sorry, the situation in Gaza and Israel is getting worse uh, and worse day by day. And uh, uh, yeah, my kids uh, uh, are not safe. They are not safe at all, and uh, they are in very dangerous area next to the border between Gaza and Israel. And uh, yeah, I worry deeply for their safety and feel that I going to lose them at any moment and uh, I'm maybe never see them again and Mahama, yeah, Mahama, so, can, I, can I ask you I'm sorry to interrupt you I, I just wanted to know when, oh, was, when was the last time you, you spoke to Kamar and, and Amir when was the last time you heard from them and uh, how are they yeah I, I used to speak to them last time on this early morning and uh, they left their home like uh, yesterday and now they try to find some safe place and like uh, shelter or some some place that belong to united nations there but the problem that even there's no any any safe place that we can uh, yeah and protect themselves or we can uh, uh, stay safe uh, you know Gaza Strip is very small and uh, they're bombing everywhere and i wish if they are still alive and i wish they can find some place that they can hide themselves and protect themselves but i'm telling you the situation is getting worse than ever I, I, I want to show our audience a, a video that you were sent uh, by your children. They sent you yesterday. I wonder if we can just play that right now. Mohammed, I, I don't speak the language, but you don't need to to understand the emotion and the fear there. Well, what are your children saying to you in that video? Yeah, they're asking for Canadian government to help them and take him out of Gaza as soon as possible. They are very scared and very fear because they can see the bombing everywhere and uh, uh, there's no any safe place they can go and protect themselves. And they asking Canadian government that can do anything to, in order to. Uh, take them out from Gaza as soon as possible. So you're here in Canada and you've been here for a number of years. Can you explain to me how how you came to be separated uh, from your children and, and, and who's looking after them in Gaza? Yeah, yeah, this is a good question. You know, I, uh, as you know, I left Gaza Strip on 2013. Uh, I was persecuted and arrested by Gaza government at that time. And uh, yeah, uh, as you know, if, if you are in, in Gaza and you're standing against the Hamas policy, so you, you will be targeted by, by local security there and your life will be uh, uh, at risk. So that's why I forced to leave my home. And yeah, uh, as you know, I, we are not believing in any kind of violence. And uh, as I believe that Palestinian and Israeli uh, people should live together side by side and, and safe and security and, and peace. So uh, I was not able to bring my, my kids with me in that time because I, I had no enough money to cover uh, the, the trip. And I left my kids with the, their mom. Uh, she's my ex-wife. And uh, in hope that in the future I can start to sponsor them later. But 
uh, after even I get safe place so uh, to live in. So uh, I went uh, to Indonesia from Gaza and uh, seeking for asylum, and my case was referred to a Canada Embassy by United Nation, and uh, my application was approved to come to Canada as a refugee sponsored by my government. So I, uh, uh, I arrived in Canada in 2022, uh, uh, February. It's about 20, uh, 20 uh, months ago. And I started even sponsoring my, my kids to be here in Canada uh, uh, around 20 months ago. And still their application for uh, permanent residence not uh, approved yet by uh, IRCC. Okay, so this leaves them in a very difficult position. You, you left because you were uh, you're critical of Hamas and, and you felt that made you a target. Your children are there with family, and since the bombing has started, they're trying to find security as best you can in Gaza right now in a UN shelter, but they have no status to come to Canada, as I understand your answer right now. So, so what are Canadian officials saying to you as you've been talking to them about this? Yeah, I, I keep uh, to talking with the IRCC in Ottawa about my, my case. They, they say that uh, your case application uh, has referred to uh, IRCC in Cairo. So you should keep talking with IRCC Cairo so they can consider your, your case application. But uh, I, I keep talking even with the IRCC Cairo, but I haven't received any response uh, from them since uh, April. I keep messaging them. I keep uh, I tell him about the situation of my kids, and I always ask them to do some uh, priority to my kids that we can get the visa and come to Canada as soon as possible. But I didn't get any response from them so far. Meanwhile, today we've had reports that um, the main power station in Gaza is on and off or completely off. There's no electricity, food and water not being allowed in, people not being allowed out. The Israeli uh, Defense Force is gathering on the, on the outskirts of the territory, and, and the shelling is, is continuing. What, what's going through your mind as you think about your boy and your girl in there? And this yeah, which means that yes, yeah, that's right. Uh, which means the situation is getting worse and worse day by day. And uh, as you mentioned, there is no more electricity, there is no more food, there is no more uh, uh, water to drink. Yeah, I, even my kids sometimes they call me. They say we are very hungry. We we, we don't have that uh, enough food to eat. And the problem is that I can do nothing for them. I have no power. I, I'm not able even to help. And uh, I just like a dad. I feel sorry for that. And I wish if the government of Canada or IRCC can do something for my kids to to bring them here in, in, to to Canada. There, there is talk. You know, the very very dangerous. I'm telling you, and uh, I'm I'm really. I have that concern that something bad can happen to them at any moment, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry for talking over there. I, I, I thought when you paused, you were done. Just, just as a final point, th there is talk that the, the U.S. with Egypt and with other groups are trying to negotiate a humanitarian corridor for people to get out of Gaza and, and maybe find some temporary refuge in Egypt. I don't know how effective that can be with more than two million people uh, potentially looking to get out. Uh, does that give you any hope? Uh, I mean, have you that that perhaps there could be a path to safety for them in the next little while? I wish I wish if they can find any any path or any way that the civilian in Gaza can cross the border to Egypt and find the safe place that they can stay. And uh, I pray that uh, this thing can be stopped immediately. But I'm not sure when uh, Palestinian people in Gaza can be able to cross the border. As you know, the, all the media talk about uh, all the border between Gaza and Israel and between Egypt and 
uh, Gaza, uh, they are almost closed and no one can uh, enter to Gaza or out of Gaza so far. So I, I hope we can find a way that the civilian in, in Gaza can find a safe place to, to, to protect themselves, yeah. Mohammed uh, Fayed, I, I want to thank you for, for speaking with us today. I hope you see your, your children safe and sound soon. Thank you for telling us your story. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Conservative leader Pierre Polyev spoke earlier today about the crisis unfolding in the Middle East. He is again condemning Saturday's Hamas attack on Israel and had this to say about Israel's retaliation on Hamas-controlled Gaza. Uh, let's remember that every loss of life in this conflict is the direct consequence of Hamas's conduct. Hamas is a sadistic, genocidal, terrorist death cult and it must be stopped uh, and unfortunately uh, its evil and uh, odious conduct is responsible for all of the suffering that we witness right now uh, and uh, so conservatives call for the government to take action to counter t Hamas any way we can and one way would be to impose more severe sanctions on Iran which is the sponsor of Hamas, and to criminalize the IRGC, which is the terrorist arm of the Iranian government that coordinates support for Hamas and Hezbollah. Meanwhile, the Canadian government is preparing military flights to evacuate Canadians stranded in Israel. Global Affairs Canada says there are about 4,200 Canadians registered in Israel. I know that the situation has been difficult, and many of you want to return to your family, to home, and want to do so safely, and we will help you. We'll begin the assisted departure of Canadians from Tel Aviv in the coming days, by the end of the week, with the help of aircraft from the Canadian Armed Forces. They will arrive in Tel Aviv and bring Canadians to Athens. For more on this story, I'm joined by Rob Oliphant, the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Foreign Affairs. Mr. Oliphant, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, David. It's an unusual move for the government to launch evacuation flights while there are still commercial options available. So why take this choice with the situation in Israel right now? Uh, let me begin by saying the situation is dire. It is, uh, uh, and I don't usually agree very much with the leader of the opposition, but in those recent remarks, uh, uh, we put the blame solely on Hamas for the tremendous destruction that has happened and the, the lives that have been taken among Israelis as well as uh, international uh, people who were in uh, Israel. And we mourn the loss of three Canadians' lives um, already that we know of. And, and, and right now we're thinking about their families. This is a dire situation. Uh, this is a war. And it is a war that is uh, at the hands of Hamas. And uh, the, I will agree with the, uh, the leader of the opposition when he says that this is a terrorist organization which uh, Canada must continually decry. And we continue to work for ways to, to assist in the situation. Right now, our goal is to help Canadians in the situation. And since Saturday, that has been my number one goal, as well as the number one goal of, of Minister uh, Melanie Jolie. That's what we're doing. 
Okay, so so but why the need to to put these flights in? I believe uh, there's about 4,200 people in Israel who are registered with Global Affairs Canada, but clearly not all of them want to be airlifted out. So so how will this work, and why do it when there is still commercial travel? I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just looking for the rationale. Just to be the, com- the commercial travel is extremely limited right now. Even we had one airplane, apparently British Airways today, that had to turn around. The right. air safe, the airspace is not safe. I do know, and I saw a, a screenshot from one of my constituents this week, and we could see that flights, LL flights, uh, Ethiopian Airlines, Turkish Airline flights are in a limited way getting in and out, but most uh, European Western Airlines are not flying, and we understand that. This is a safety concern, so they're very limited ability to get out of the country right now, and so uh, immediately on Saturday, the minister began asking for contingency plans to help the Canadians that we have that are uh, in Israel and wanting to get out, as well as those in Gaza, and that's going to be much more difficult uh, to get them home. Mm-hmm. But uh, those contingency plans included getting people on uh, commercial airlines. That's always a good way to get out of a country. Um, land uh, movement is extremely risky right now. We're mostly telling people to shelter in place and, and to not move unless they absolutely have to move. But in addition, uh, we've asked for uh, assistance from Canadian Armed Forces and we're getting it. And uh, Two aircraft are now uh, readying to get to Israel uh, to be loaded to, to get them to a safe destination. And we'll, we'll assess the situation after that. Uh, we don't know how many people will want to stay in Israel, how many people will want to leave, but we want to, them to know that we have their backs and we will continue to get out as many Canadians as quickly as possible from a situation that we believe could become worse and worse as the days go by. Right, because as a lot of people try to leave the country, a lot of dual citizens are actually going back uh, to, to join the Israeli defense effort and, and sign up for the reserves. So uh, in the technical briefing earlier today from officials, uh, Mr. Oliphant, I, I believe it was about 700, 800. That was the number they had of, of Canadians who wanted to be evacuated. Uh, it, that sounds like it can be done in a relatively quick time with planes that can take about 150 people. So are we talking an effort that will last a couple of days here? Is that what we're thinking? Well, that's our, our first tranche. Uh, right now, uh, we're asking people to register with the Registry of Canadians Abroad. That is the only way we'll know how many people want to stay there and how many people want to leave. And and so that number is very fluid. I wouldn't even use that number right, right. now okay. because uh, we know that if we have a certain number registered, as we, we uh, at the beginning of the conflict, we had about 2,500. It's probably maybe three times. That's sort of a, a rule that we use. Uh, three times that number could be Canadians in Israel. Many will want to stay. They have their lives there, their families there, uh, their businesses there, and, and they'll want to stay. However, we don't have an exact number right now of how many people will want to leave. Some of them are tourists. Some of them are have been there. We're, we're there for the high holidays, um, and they're still trying to get home. Um, Air Canada and other Canadian airlines have, have canceled flights. So we're, we're assessing the situation. Uh, these two aircraft will, will be uh, significant in the, 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 the dent that they can make in this, uh, this list, and then we'll assess from there. Uh, they won't be bringing them all the way home to Canada. We're going to be using a shuttle system uh, to get them out to make it as efficient as possible. Uh, we've been there before. We, we, we do know how to handle this. And uh, this particular minister acted very quickly to, to make sure that we, uh, we were ready. And uh, uh, we're, we'll be the first uh, country of that, uh, the five eyes that are getting people out. So we will continue to do it. I do caution, 
as long as the airways are safe. Right. Uh, that is the, the caveat I'm giving all the time, that we just don't know what's going to happen. No, that's understood. The situation is very fluid, and right now the plan is to get them to Greece and then commercial airlines that will bring people home. Uh, I, I'm not uh, trying to suggest that getting people out of Israel will be easy in a conflict zone, but by comparison to Canadians and their families who are stranded in, for example, Gaza, uh, it is a much simpler proposition. Uh, you heard some of the interview we just had with Mohammed Fayed, whose, whose children are in Gaza, uh, this mission to repatriate people applies to Canadian citizens, their spouses and children, Canadian permanent residents, their spouses and children. In this case, would Mr. Fayed's children qualify, where he's here as a sponsored refugee? Could his children qualify for a trip to Canada and safety? Well, right now our issue is that we can't get in and out of Gaza. That is that is the situation, that there is a blockade, and uh, we will continue with our humanitarian assistance when we can, when we're able. Right now we're trying to find humanitarian corridors to get in there. I would remind uh, all the viewers, though, the responsibility for the disaster in Gaza lies at the hands of Hamas. They have not done their duty of care for their own citizens, and we will continue to remind people of that. We won't be limited by that. We will still find ways to help people who are in Gaza. Uh, obviously, those are Palestinians who, uh, who are, through no fault of their own, are going to be uh, subject to a horrendous uh, uh, terrorist organization called Hamas. Uh, but I can't say it's going to be easy to get anyone in or out of Gaza for the next several days. And our fear is it's going to even get worse. But, but my read of the policy, where it only applies to citizens and permanent residents and the extension, where, where Mr. Fayad is a, is a refugee, it wouldn't apply to his family. Should you be able to get in there? Uh, should we be able to get in there? Let, let's wait and see. The reality is that uh, uh, we, we, the, the concept of citizenship in Palestinian people is, is very uh, fluid all the right. time. And so let's just wait and see. Right now, our number one goal are Canadian citizens, uh, their dependents, uh, their, their, their children and spouses, and uh, permanent re residents of Canada and their children. That has always been our policy. We'll continue to do that. Uh, while we are continuing to work with other countries, with the uh, UN agencies, to find ways to help people uh, who are in dire situations. Uh, I, I take your, your position that you've expressed multiple times that Hamas has, is to blame for all of this, in your view, and Hamas is to blame for what is happening in Gaza even right now. Uh, but this, Gaza right now is without power. It is completely under siege. No food, no fuel, no water is allowed in. 1,100 Palestinians have been killed in the airstrikes. Aid workers from the UN and the Red Cross were killed today. What conversations is Canada having with Israel about protecting aid workers and civilians as it conducts this military operation? Uh, our Minister uh, of Foreign Affairs has spoken to her counterpart twice already. Uh, we are in, engaged with all of our allies in the situation, as well as the UN agencies, uh, to find the best ways to help people. Uh, this is a situation that is not going to go away quickly or easily. Uh, we've been there before. We have seen sieges of, of Gaza in, in previous times. We know this story is a horrible story. Uh, we have uh, two million people who are held hostage by uh, their own um, so-called government, and we will continue to find ways to uh, work uh, around that without ever giving any authority to Hamas because they have caused this problem. Uh, we, we are very recognizing, however, that people are people. 
and Canadians will want to help people. They will want to help Israelis recover from this horrendous situation where, uh, you know, uh, over a thousand people have died. And they'll want to help Palestinian people as well, where we have a humanitarian crisis. So Canadians are generous, but right now our goal is to end hostilities, to get the situation de-escalated, and find a way to uh, to move on from there. But, but, you know, on your point that people are people, um, Gaza, the population of Gaza is pretty close to the entire population of Atlantic Canada. And, and right now they have been cut off from... Uh, the basic necessities of life in many ways, and this is being described as collective punishment that some experts say is a violation of international law. And I know Canada supports Israel's right to defend itself, but it's always come with a caveat in accordance with international law. Absolutely. Is what's happening there now in accordance with international law in your view? I am I'm neither judge or jury. What I know right now is Israel has the right to defend itself from a, a horrendous barbarian attack and do it within international law. Uh, let, let, let's watch as this, this unfolds, but let's hope that Hamas recognizes the error of their ways and, and stop holding their own people hostage and allow the, uh, the uh, uh, Israeli uh, government to, to restore order in, in the area. So just as a final point on that, the U.S. appears to be leading uh, conversations on a humanitarian corridor to get the civilians out, or as many civilians as you can, out of Gaza. Should the IDF, should the Israeli Defense Force hold off on, on a full assault un what? until we know what's going to happen in terms of that conversation? Those conversations are important. Uh, United States, Egypt, Jordan uh, are having uh, in intense conversations to find out the best way. Canada will always be engaged in those conversations to find out how we can best help. Mm -hmm. uh, what we want right now is a cessation of, of hostilities, but we also still recognize Israel's right to defend itself within international law, and we will stand by Israel uh, as, as the victim of this attack. Okay. Rob Oliphant, I, I always appreciate the conversation. That's the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Foreign Affairs. Thanks for taking the time today, sir. Thank you. Israel has established a new wartime government. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and National Unity Party leader Benny Gantz have established a small war cabinet. This as Israel prepares for the next phase of its military operation in Gaza to, as the government says, eliminate Hamas. Israel is also facing threats in the country's north from Hezbollah, which operates in the southern regions of Lebanon. President Joe Biden says the U.S. stands with Israel and he is issuing a warning to Iran. We're surging additional military assistance to the Israeli Defense Force, including ammunition, interceptors to replenish the Iron Dome, and we've moved the U.S. carrier fleet to the eastern Mediterranean and we're sending more fighter jets there in that region and made it clear, made it clear to the Iranians, be careful. Matthew Levitt is a counterterrorism and intelligence expert at the Washington Institute for Near East Policy. In 2008-2009, he served as a U.S. State Department counterterrorism advisor to the Special Envoy for Middle East Regional Security. Matthew Levitt, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's start with Hamas on a basic level, a listed terrorist entity in both Canada and the United States. What can you tell us about their origin and how they came to control Gaza? Hamas was founded in the late 1980s and was known for many years for carrying out suicide bombings, targeting civilian buses, cafes, shooting attacks. By 2006, it decided to participate in, in Palestinian elections. And that led to the formation of a national unity government between Hamas and Fatah. 
That was surprising because Fatah is a secular party that is, believes in a two-state solution. Hamas is a Sunni Islamist party that is against a two-state solution and wants an Islamist state created in all of historic Palestine, meaning Israel, the West Bank, and the Gaza Strip. Fast forward to today, what Hamas is fighting about is not the lack of a two-state solution. It's the fact that Israel exists. In 2007, Hamas took over the Gaza Strip by force of arms. Not force of arms shooting at Israelis, but force of arms shooting at fellow Palestinians. And ever since then, it has controlled the Gaza Strip. Now, the Israelis have tried to come to a modus vivendi with Hamas. Uh, you don't have to uh, you know, like us. You don't have to formally accept us. We'll allow workers to come in from Gaza into Israel to work. We'll make sure that there's uh, electricity transferred through. You can get money from other countries like Qatar in return for calm. And that tends to last for several years at a time. We've seen now several waves of rocket wars between Hamas and Israel. But this is entirely different. And it puts to bed the idea, really the myth, that there are separate wings within Hamas. It is engaged in social and political and religious activities, and it is engaged in militant and terrorist activities, but these are not two separate organizations. This is all part of one holistic organization. And it appears now that Hamas had been planning for some time with, let's call it strategic assistance from Iran, which has always funded it and trained it and provided it with weapons, and Lebanese Hezbollah to the north of Israel, to someday try and put their ideology into place. And so now we see this barbaric attack in southern Israel and some 150 hostages taken back into the Gaza Strip, including many Westerners. Um, We don't know, for example, how many Americans, but we know that there are Americans that were taken and at least 20 killed. So within the Palestinian uh, uh, political structures and political sphere, there's Hamas, there's Fatah, you've mentioned. What is Hamas's relationship with the Palestinian Authority, and how do they interact? The backbone of the Palestinian Authority is Fatah. And the Palestinian Authority is the entity that was created from the Oslo Accords and is therefore generally still committed to the idea of a two-state solution. Hamas opposes that. So within the Palestinian political polity, Hamas and the Palestinian Authority, and by extension Fatah, are political rivals. But Hamas also has recently been trying to build itself up as an alternative to Fatah and try and take over various Palestinian political structures, including the Palestinian Authority, uh, the Palestine Liberation Organization, and these are organizations that don't have much love for each other. And Hamas sometimes will target Israel in an attempt to undermine the PA. Okay, so the the atrocities we saw uh, on Saturday and and throughout the weekend and still learning some of the details on it, the the assessment is that this was planned by the Hamas commander, Mohammed Daif. He's thought to be the mastermind behind all of this. What do we know about him? Mohammed Daif has been a leader of the Hamas uh, military structure, its uh, terrorist wing, the uh, Al-Qassam Brigades, for many years. Israelis tried to assassinate him at one point and uh, missed, but reportedly injured him. He uh, generally stays out of the media limelight, uh, but he is the head, the commander of the Qassam Brigades in the Gaza Strip. He, together with a whole bunch of other people from the Qassam Brigades, are believed to have put this together. And it's very, very clear that there was significant input from Iran and Hezbollah, that's Lebanese Hezbollah to the north, because this exact operation comes out of Hezbollah's playbook. The the Israel Defense Forces, the Israeli military, has literally been training to thwart exactly this type of an operation in the north. 
with Hezbollah coming in through the border, killing as many people as possible, taking as many people hostage back into Lebanon, shooting rockets. And so now Hamas has executed it in the south. And I believe they've had catastrophic success. I don't think they they, they believed they would have this much success. Uh, and now they're trying to figure out what to do with it because the Israelis simply cannot sit back and allow 150 hostages to remain in Gaza. So, so on that point, successful, uh, you know, success as, as you frame it from the Hamas perspective, but obviously, uh, you know, a yeah. horrific body count, the murder of babies. What, what were they trying to accomplish with this? What is the larger strategic goal behind launching an assault on, on a rave and on kibbutzes and on just ordinary citizens? Well, there are several things that are going on here. At the most basic, Hamas still remains committed to the idea of the destruction of Israel. Again, Hamas is not fighting for a two-state solution. It's against a two-state solution. It wants to destroy Israel. Second, I think Hamas and Hezbollah have begun believing their own rhetoric. Uh, Hezbollah leader Nasrallah has talked about Israel being weaker than a spider's web. And they've had many press conferences where they've talked about, look at what's happening in Israel, the political and social dysfunction. And they believe that Israel was distracted and was weak and maybe saw this as a time to do something. I think the precipitant event, though, the really reason to do it right now was the potential for normalization between Israel and Saudi Arabia. It's one thing for there to be an Abraham Accords with countries like Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates making peace with Israel. Those are smaller states. Saudi Arabia is the most important state uh, in the Gulf region, maybe in the Middle East, uh, and it is the custodian of the two holiest sites to the Muslim faith. And I think Iran and Hezbollah and Hamas all feared that if this normalization happened, there'd be a cascade effect. Other Arab and Muslim countries would ultimately normalize with Israel, and this would pose two problems for them. First, it would create a de facto alliance of moderate states allied together in part to join forces to defend themselves against Iran and its proxies. And the second is specifically to Hamas. It would leave Hamas on the outs, and the only entities within the Israeli-Palestinian conflict that people would look to on the Palestinian side would be those not aligned with Iran, the PA Fatah, etc. They saw this as an existential threat and decided to take action to undermine it. And I think in this sense, it will be painfully successful. It will disrupt normalization for a time. When all of the fighting, please God, is over, I think at the end of the day, it's going to leave people in Saudi Arabia, in Israel, in the UAE and elsewhere thinking to themselves, wait, we really do need to work together to counter the threats from Iran and its proxies. Look what they just did. So uh, speaking of Iran and its proxies, Hezbollah is mentioned a lot in this. You've mentioned it in this conversation. They have been mentioned throughout this uh, conflict, the threat of a widening conflict with them coming in from the north through Lebanon. Their relationship with Hamas and and, and the risk, you think, in, in Hezbollah escalating things at this point. So Iran has a network of proxies, but first among equals, the most important, the most capable, the best armed and trained is Lebanese Hezbollah based in southern Lebanon, just north of Israel. So the fighting in the Gaza Strip is at the southern border, but Israel also has to deal with threats from Hezbollah on the northern border. And I don't think there is any way that Hamas would take such a bold, drastic action without some level of confidence that if it were able to draw Israel in to a ground war in Gaza, which I think is what Hamas wants, that it would have support from its allies to the north to open a second front against Israel. 
I don't know that Hezbollah wants to do that. I don't know that Iran wants Hezbollah to do that because ultimately Iran wants Hezbollah and it's some 200,000 rockets pointed at Israel to be there as a safety net in the event that Israel ever decides to do something about Iran's nuclear program. But Hezbollah is already signaling that Israel has to be worried if it does go in a ground war. There have been several border incursions by Hezbollah operatives from Lebanon into Israel. If there is a second front opened in the north, the threat that Hezbollah poses to Israel is even more, much more significant than the threat that Hamas poses from the south. So if Hezbollah does act, um, you know, the the, the foreign foreign minister said here on the show the other day that their big focus is trying to stop this from spiraling into a a wider regional conflict and, and contain it to where it is. But if Hezbollah should act, I mean, can it be contained or does it just spiral from there? I think that if Hezbollah acts, it depends how it acts. It could fire a few missiles. It's already done a few of those. It could send thousands of missiles and try and storm the fence and and storm the border. Uh, The Israelis have been preparing for this for some time. But again, fighting on two fronts, they will only have so much resources. Uh, The United States is trying to prevent this from happening by signaling publicly. And I understand privately, too, to Iran and to Hezbollah that this would be a very dangerous move. The U.S. has moved a carrier group of ships to the eastern Mediterranean and have signaled that should Hezbollah do something like this that would truly threaten Israel, perhaps U.S. forces could get involved. They have not said it that explicitly, but you don't send a carrier group uh, to just wave from the deck. And so this could spiral, uh, and it's really a question of what Hamas and Hezbollah decide to do. It's important to remind Israeli didn't start this. America didn't start this. Canada didn't start this. This was started by an invasion by Hamas, as you said, killing babies and, and, and worse. Matthew Levitt, a counterterrorism and intelligence expert at the Washington Institute for Near East Policy. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. That's it for today. If you like this episode, please follow the pod and catch our next live show on CBC News Network. We're on weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm David Cochran. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.